So this morning we come to a passage in Luke chapter 6, which is uh, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. So if you have your Bibles with you, please open them to Luke chapter 6, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 11. You can follow along on the screen as well. So one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for the priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the son of, the man, the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it. He looked around at them and, and then he said to, them, to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. Just to be clear, we're talking about the same thing. The question is, what is the Sabbath? Sabbath, of course, is the Jewish day of rest. It, it was the Saturday, which is the seventh day of the week. Now, we are gathering on Sunday, which is the first day of the week in Jewish understanding. The question is, why are we meeting on Sunday? Well, it seems that early on, in the early church even, they, they chose to meet on the first day of the week, as in Acts chapter 20, uh, uh, it Luke says that on the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread. So the church came together and they were breaking bread on the first day of the week. And Paul says to the Corinthians and to other churches, not just Corinthians, now concerning the collection for the saints as I directed the churches of Galatia. So he's saying this is a, not just for you all, but for other churches as well. So do you also on the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. So same when he kept together on the first day of the week. Why did they meet on the first day of the week? I think some of it may have to do with the Jewish traditions. They were trying to break away from Jewish traditions. And they were trying to establish a new identity. And secondly, most importantly, is the day of the Lord's resurrection, which is so defining to us because that's when Jesus, everything changed the moment when Jesus came back to life and he was resurrected. And at such a defining moment that the church early on decided we're going to meet on the first day of the week, which is, this, which is the Sunday and not the Saturday. Now, there are churches, even in, uh, in, in the Christian tradition, that meet on the Saturday. And there's nothing wrong with which day you meet on, because we should meet the Lord all the time, should we not? We should connect with Him all the time. So whether we pick meet on Saturday or Sunday, that's not the point. The point is that we find time to connect with the Lord. So here's Jesus, and he's the Lord of the Sabbath, and he's being confronted by the Pharisees. Now, um, many of you have probably watched this movie. 
uh, Chariots of Fire. It was released in 1981. It tells the story of Eric Little, who was born into a missionary family uh, in China. I think it was 19, 1902 or something like that. And so he grew up part, uh, part in China, but then he was sent to a boarding school in um, uh, Scotland when he was a teenager, and so he, he went to boarding school, and he was really good at running. He was a racer, and he loved to run. He was so good that the Scottish Olympic Committee chose him to represent the nation at the 1924 um, Paris Olympics, and his primary strength was the 100-meter dash, the 100-meter race, and that's really what he trained for. And he was actually, he was the one who, who was really the favorite who was to win the gold medal. However, uh, some of the preliminary races were on a Sunday. And he said, I'm not going to run on a Sunday. So he chose not to run. And because of that, he was disqualified. He could not actually compete in the 100-meter uh, dash. And people were just perplexed. This, Why would you give up a gold medal that was pretty much certain that you would get? Instead, he went to church. He went to a Scottish Presbyterian church in Paris and actually gave the message there. And the church was filled with the media because they could, could not understand how would someone give up a gold medal when he was almost certain that he would win the race. Well, he wanted to honor the Lord. and The Lord honored his commitment. And he actually competed in another race, which is the 400-meter dash, which he didn't train for, and he won. So he did win a gold medal. So here's Eric, Eric Little, and he's honoring the Lord by saying, I'm not going to run on a Sunday. And it's the very thing that the Pharisees are accusing Jesus of. He's saying, like, Jesus, why are you working on a Sunday? So Eric Little is honoring the Lord, but in the minds of the Pharisees, they would have been fine with Eric Little's decision, but why, Jesus, are you working on a Sunday? Now we have to understand, first and foremost, the context is totally different between Eric Little and Jesus. Jesus was fighting the legalism that we observe in the Jewish tradition, the rules and the regulations that really kept them uh, from, from the true life that God was going to offer them. For Eric Little, it was the decision to honor the Lord, to actually make a statement, what is most important to me is not gold. Although I may win the gold medal in an eternal perspective, that doesn't matter compared to my relationship with the Lord. So I'm willing to forego this. And so he made this, this point which, which perplexed the world. That's a totally different story. But let's go to the story of Jesus then. So Jesus is walking through the grain fields with his disciples, and they're picking heads of grain. Uh, they're rubbing them with their hands, and they're eating the grain. Um, there's 37 miracles that are reported in the New Testament, in, in the gospel, the four gospels. 37, 37 different, different miracles that are reported, nine of which Jesus performed on the Sabbath. So almost a fourth or more than a fourth, Jesus actually performed on a Sabbath. Before we go further, I have a trivia question for you to keep you on your edge of the, seat, uh, of the, seat, the edge of your seats. Um, there's only one miracle that Jesus performed that is reported in all four Gospels. So most of the miracles are either told in one Gospel, two Gospels, three Gospels, but only one of them is reported in all four Gospels. Which is it? Which one is it? Any guesses? Just think about John. John told seven stories of Jesus. 
And one of them is found in all four Gospels. Which one is it? It's the feeding of the 5,000. So the feeding of the 5,000 is the only story, the only miracle that Jesus before. If you thought about that one, you're the winner, okay? So, so Jesus is performing a miracle, miracles on Sunday, actually. It seems like initially, if you read the book of Luke, it was almost by accident that Jesus performed miracles on Sundays. Like Luke chapter 4 tells us that Jesus was in Capernaum, and there was a man with an evil spirit, and, and, and Jesus uh, freed him. That Sunday, he cast out the demon. The same day, it was a Saturday, excuse me, not the Sunday. The same day, he went to Peter's home, and there was uh, Peter's mother-in-law who was ill. So Jesus healed her. She got up and served them. And it says that night, the whole town, they brought their, their sick to Jesus, and Jesus healed them all. It wasn't so much that Jesus was looking to aggravate the Pharisees, but later on it seems almost like Jesus is actually trying to, to just pick a, pick a fight with these Pharisees because they are there observing Jesus. What is he going to do? Here's this man with the shriveled hand. Will he actually perform a miracle again? Will he actually work on a Sabbath again? So it's like Jesus was trying to pick a fight with them. Now what Jesus was trying to do is make a statement to them. But before we get there, the question is, how do we get there, you know? Um, here's what the law says when it comes to this story and then picking uh, the heads of grain. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, it says, if you enter your neighbor's grain field, you may pick kernels with your hands, but you must not put a sickle to his standing grain. So the law allows people, when you're hungry, you walk by a field, you can pick the grain, you're, you, can, you can eat it. It doesn't say anything about rubbing it, okay? So it could be that the, the rabbis or the Jewish uh, Pharisees looked at it and says, well, rubbing the corn is threshing. That's work. You can't do that on a Sabbath. That's possible. But I think one of the reasons that they were upset is actually Jesus, they were, not just that they were eating the kernels, but they were walking through the field. They were walking and one of the things is how the Jews began to interpret the, the law of, of the Sabbath, that they, it became very restrictive and limiting as to what people could do. Here's what happened in Jewish tradition. So they don't just have the Bible. They don't just have the Torah, which is the, the books of Moses, which tells, gives us the law, but then they have the interpretation of the law, and that is the Talmud. If you've ever heard of, of that word Talmud, there's, there's volumes upon volumes upon volumes of interpretations where rabbis wrote down, what does this mean? What does it not mean? And so, so much of Jewish learning is not just the Bible or the law as such, it's the Talmud, it's in, the interpretation of the law. And so they came up with these limitations, rules and regulations of what people were allowed to do and not allowed to do specifically when it comes to the Sabbath. Let me give you an example. And this is actually taken from Scripture. In the book of Acts, you see Jesus in chapter 1. He's with the disciples. He, he, he's ready to ascend into heaven. He gives them the command, go back to Jerusalem and wait for the promise, which is the Holy Spirit. And then the disciples walk back from the Mount of Olives to Jerusalem and, and, and Luke picks up picks in, in this phrase, which is a Sabbath day walk. So he's saying the distance between the Mount of Olives and the city of Jerusalem, that's how far the Jews were allowed to walk 
on a Sabbath day, which is roughly uh, 2,000 cubits, 1,000 yards, or about a third of a mile. This is how far they were allowed to walk on a Sabbath day. How did they get there? How did they come up with that? Well, they looked at the book of Joshua. In the book of Joshua, when they crossed over the, the river Jordan, uh, the Lord gave the instruction that the Ark of the Covenant was to go ahead of the army, and there was to be a distance. So the priests were to carry the Ark, and there was to be a distance of 2,000 cubits between the Ark and the people. And so they assumed that was the distance that we are to keep from uh, the tabernacle or, uh, or the temple. So there was to be a distance. So we must be allowed to at least walk 2,000 cubits. So that became the interpretation then. How far can we walk on a Sabbath? Well, Joshua's army was 2,000 cubits behind the Ark of the Covenant, so we are allowed to walk that far. That's the kind of rules and regulations that they were discussing and, and and they just came up with the solution, well, it's 2,000 cubits, that's how far we can walk, which can be quite cumbersome sometimes, can it not? And you can only go so far. So some people would just say, well, if I claim my town as my home, not just my house, but my whole town or the whole city where I live, then I can go a little bit further outside of the walls of, of my city. Or some came up with this splendid idea, and this is actually true, that they would place food at the edge of the 2,000 cubits, they would place some food there, and, and then on the Sabbath day, they would walk there, they would have their lunch on that place, and then it became a temporary dwelling. So now you can go 2,000 more cubits. Or some said, well, you just have to claim the tree or whatever it is to be your, temp to, to be your Sabbath rest, and then you can go beyond that. So this is the kind of legalism that the Jews uh, were worried about. Here's how Scripture talks about the Sabbath. The first mention of the Sabbath actually is in, the, well, other than Genesis, where God establishes the, the, uh, the, the rule of, of rest uh, after He had created the universe, is in Genesis, Exodus chapter 16, God gives the manna, and then he, the bread from heaven, and He tells them, that they can only collect the bread, go out and collect the bread every six days. On the sixth day, he will provide enough for the seventh day as well, so you don't have to go out and collect again on the seventh day. Here's what it says. Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where he is on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So what's the restriction here? Stay put. Don't go out. I'm going to provide for you. But see, you can, you can read this legalistically. You can read this legalistically and just say, okay, I have to stay put. I can't go out. Or you can read it, read it as a promise. The Lord will provide for the seventh day. I don't have to go out. I can rest. And see, that's what Jesus is trying to bring us back to us, the promise of the Sabbath, not the, not the law of the Sabbath. And he says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. We'll talk about this. It's, it's the promise of the Sabbath. You don't have to work. You don't have to go out and collect food on the seventh day. No, you have an opportunity, actually, to rest. Uh, Exodus chapter 20 talks, of course, is the is Ten Commandments. And the fourth one is, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And then he says, 
um, and, 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 and he argues that with, with creation, that on, the Lord worked for six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. Let me ask you this question. Did God have to rest? Was he so worn out from creating the universe? He said, I, I, I need a break, man. I need to go to Starbucks, get a cup of coffee. It's just like it's too much for me. I don't think so, because he's all-powerful. It's not that he had to rest. He established an order for us, which is meaningful in saying, you guys, you need to rest. And I'm showing you what it means to rest. See, that's the promise. Actually, the promise is rest. It's not the rules and regulations of the Sabbath. And so Jesus came back to bring that to us. But then, before we get there, uh, Exodus chapter 31 then tells us that the Sabbath becomes more restrictive. Uh, It says that if anyone desecrates the Sabbath or does work on it, he must be put to death. That person must be put to death. And also, the Sabbath day is established as a sign of the covenant. Not only circumcision, actually, but the Sabbath day itself is a sign of the covenant if they keep the Sabbath day. Exodus 35 tells us that they were not to light a fire on the Sabbath, meaning don't cook. That's nice, isn't it, for the ladies? They don't have to cook. They don't light a fire. Numbers chapter 15 tells us the story of a man who who went out on the Sabbath to collect wood. They followed him, so they were themselves trespassing, I guess. But anyway, they found out that he was collecting wood. They brought it before Moses. The decision was made. He needs to be put to death because he desecrated the Sabbath day. Leviticus then establishes the rule, not just the Sabbath day, but the Sabbath year. Every seventh year was to be a Sabbath rest, not just for the people, for the whole nation, for the whole, even the land was supposed to rest. So the Lord says, don't plant in the seventh year, in the Sabbath year. Don't harvest. I will provide. Just, just reap whatever grows naturally. That's what you are to, to eat during that Sabbath year. And then, of course, the rule of the Jubilee, which is every seventh Sabbath year, there was a year of Jubilee, which is the year of redemption or release. We're not getting into that at this point. Uh, by the time of the prophets, especially Jeremiah and Ezekiel, who lived through the captivity, or at the beginning of the captivity, when Israel was taken into the captivity, uh, here's what they're saying about the Sabbath. Jeremiah says, do not bring a load of your, uh, out of your houses, so according to uh, Exodus 16, 16, stay put, or do any work on the Sabbath, but keep the Sabbath day holy as I commanded your ancestors. Yet they did not listen or pay attention. They were stiff-necked and would not listen or respond to discipline. So uh, Jeremiah is t- telling them, one of the reasons is that you guys are not keeping the Sabbath holy. Ezekiel says, but the children rebelled against me. They did not follow my decrees. They were not careful to keep my laws, of which I said, the person who obeys them will live by them. And they desecrated my Sabbaths. So I said, I would, put, I would pour out my wrath on them and spend my anger against them in the wilderness. So Israel was taken into captivity. They looked back and said, one of the reasons is not just because we worshiped other idols, but because we desecrated the Sabbath day. So they made up their mind. They would no longer do this. Nehemiah, which is when Israel was led back again to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is being rebuilt. Nehemiah comes. He builds up the wall. You probably know the story. At the end of the book of Nehemiah, is the story of the traders who come wanting to trade with the city of Jerusalem. And so they come on the Sabbath day. Nehemiah sees that. He tells them, lock the gates, put out guards. No one is to go in and out of the city. 
And so the traders have to wait until the following day to trade. So they do this a couple of times. Nehemiah is upset. He goes out and tells him, if you do this again, I'll send my army on you. So they learn the lesson, from now on, no more trading on the Sabbath day. So this is how, in many ways, this stringent understanding of the Sabbath came to be when it comes to the Jewish nation. This is how the Pharisees understood Scripture, both from the law as well as from the Talmud, which is the interpretation of the law. And so here's Jesus. He's walking through the grain field. He's picking, or they're picking out the grains. The Pharisees are just exploding like, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath day? So we need to look at the New Testament, what Jesus came to bring them. Um, we need to understand Jesus' understanding as he proclaimed it early on in his ministry, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, where Jesus talked to the Jews and says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law. I have not come to abolish the Sabbath. I have not come to get rid of the Sabbath as such or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I've come to fulfill the law and to bring it back to the original meaning of the law. How do you view the law personally? How do you view the law? Is the law something that is restrictive to you? Or is it something that actually that brings life? I think that's, that's a key to understanding Scripture, that God never intended. He is trying to show us our sinfulness, of course, through the law. And it points to Christ as the Redeemer. But it's not that the law, he didn't want to restrict life, he wanted to bring life. So the Sabbath day is not because he wanted to restrict you from going in and out the house. You can only go as far as this. No, because he has your best in mind. And the best is, as he's saying, you guys need to rest. I'm giving you an opportunity to rest. That's what he had in mind. Um, if you have your Bibles, go to, go to Psalms chapter 19. I don't have it on the screen here if you want to follow along. Uh, look at Psalms chapter 19. Psalms chapter 19 talks about um, the heavens declaring the glory of God. Uh, the universe displays his handiwork, so we know that he is simply by looking at his creation. But then it shifts. Uh, in verse 7, it looks at the law. So verse, verse 7, it says, the law of the Lord is perfect. What does it do? Reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. To the eyes. So what, what is the focus of the law? It's not restriction, it's life. It gives life, it gives joy, it opens your eyes, it makes you wise. It's the positive that the, the Scripture focuses on. For the Jews, it was the limitations. It was the do's and the don'ts, what you cannot do. For Jesus, it was the life. Some of us look at Scripture, at the law, and we see a wall. Oh, here, here's how far I can go. Beyond this is sin. If you're thinking that way, you're thinking legalistically in many ways. It's not so much that there's the wall, but that there's life in Christ Jesus. And He came to bring us this life. He came to fulfill the law that we would have true life. And that is the promise 
of Scripture. So John chapter 7, uh, he, he talks to the Pharisees and says, if a child can be circumcised on the Sabbath, and here's what happened. If, if a child was born on a Friday, according to the law, he had to be circumcised on the eighth day. That would be on a, the following Sabbath day, which is a, work, uh, is a rest day, of course. So if a child can be circumcised on the Sabbath day, so that the law of Moses may not be broken. Why are you angry with me for healing the whole man on the Sabbath? Jesus is healing on the Sabbath. He's bringing life on the Sabbath. So he tells the story actually to them of David who was being pursued by Saul. Again, he was running away from Saul with his soldiers. He came to, um, he came to the tabernacle and they were hungry. So they go to the priest and ask him the question, do you have anything to eat for us? And says, well, the only thing that I have is the consecrated bread, which is dedicated to the Lord. They had to bake it once a week and then let it sit out before the Lord, and then the priest could eat it. said, so that's all we have. But they gave the bread to David, and he ate it. Nothing happened. Although it was, it was against the law. Why not? Because he was bringing life. It was giving life. They were hungry. They needed to eat. The Lord provided for them through the consecrated bread. It's about life. So Jesus, it tells us the, the, the story of the, the man with the shriveled hand, that you know he had this shriveled hand, and they were watching to see that what he's doing. Uh, I think it was Mark or, 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 or Matthew tells us that Jesus looked at them, and he was distraught. He was distraught at what he saw in their hearts. Because in his mind, why would I keep that guy one more day in this condition? The guy with the evil spirit. Why would I keep him on the, in Satan's bond one more day if I can free him today? Why? If I can bring life today, why would I not bring life? So he asked him this question. What are you allowed to do on the Sabbath to give life or death? If you're giving life, if you're bringing life, why would I not do this? So this is the kind of freedom that Jesus had when he came to the Sabbath day. He was not restricted by the laws as such. He says, if I can bring life, I will bring life. He asked the Pharisees, uh, this may be in Mark as well, he asked him this question, which of you, if you he he have an animal and it falls into a pit, would not help the animal out of the pit? Would you not? Even on the Sabbath day. Because the Sabbath brings life. So that's, uh, that's Jesus' understanding and the hope that he brings to us. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. What does that mean? To me, it means two things that I want to point out. First and foremost, he's saying, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I interpret Scripture. If I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, it's not up to you, men, to interpret Scripture as the rabbis have done throughout the centuries and are still doing even through the Talmud. No, God has the authority to interpret Scripture. And if God's desire is to help people, if God's desire is to bring life, to break bondage, as He said was His calling, to break the bonds of those who are held in captivity, why would I wait another day? Why? So he brings life. Jesus was very strong with the Pharisees. They were strong with him. They were always trying to find a way to trap him. 
But Jesus at one point, and you may be familiar with this, in Matthew chapter 23, he talks about the Pharisees and their attitude and their spirit. And he tells them, you go throughout the land looking for a convert. So you go forth, you're trying to find someone who will be like you. And if you find one, listen to this, you will make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Wow, those are strong words, aren't they? You will make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Not only are you sons of hell, he's actually telling them, you're not driven by the Spirit of God. You're actually driven by Satan. You're trying to keep people in captivity. You're not trying to bring them freedom. You're not trying to break the bonds. You're trying to, bring, you keep trying to keep them in captivity. I have come to bring freedom. And you make him twice as much a son of hell. So Jesus says, the authority to interpret Scripture is not with man, but it's with God. Which is the second point that Jesus is actually communicating to them that his, he, he is God. Because he, he is the Lord of Sabbath, of the Sabbath. Who, who, who established the Sabbath? God did in creation. So Jesus is saying, I'm God to the Pharisees. And that's probably one of the reasons they were so upset uh, about it. And so he's telling them, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And I'm telling you, what you need to do is rest. That is the promise of the Sabbath, that you find rest. Let me ask you this question. Why the number seven? Is there any rhyme or reason as to why our week is seven days long? Have you ever thought about that? Now, if you look at the year, it makes sense. Because we can follow it, we can trace it with the sun. So there's the point when the sun is at the lowest point, which is around December 21st, and it comes back up, and then June 21st, it's the highest point. And it, it fluctuates between these points, and we can count it. We know exactly how long a year is. We can, trace the, uh, we can trace the month, at least when it comes to the moon. We can trace the month by new moon. But why do we have seven days? There's no rhyme or reason in, in nature as such that would tell us that the week is supposed to be seven, day long, seven, stay, seven days long, and yet it's almost universally in all cultures of the world, the week is seven days long. Why? Because God established it. Simpl it's as simple as this, because God said there's a healthy reason, there's a healthy rhythm to life, which is six to one. Six days you shall work, on the seventh day you shall rest. That's the promise. You don't have to work seven days. Like the slaves who were driven by their masters. You don't have to do that. You can actually rest. And so God is offering us this promise of rest. I want to tell you a story here of a good friend of ours um, in the Philippines. When Bonnie and I met, we met in the Philippines, uh, we went to a language school, and the headmaster of the school was a lady by the name of Fanny, and she was married to a guy by the name of Manny, so it was Manny and Fanny. And so, uh, Manny was a pastor, and, and they had a tremendous ministry, they actually wrote a book about their ministry, uh, it, was, it was in Cuenca in the Philippines, and, um, but he, he wasn't just a pastor, he also worked for the government. So he worked Monday through Friday, he worked for the government in, I can't remember what the position was, had something to do with land. Um, then on Saturdays, he had to prepare for the ministry, and in Sundays, they had ministry. 
So he was constantly on the go for years. Shortly after we had finished language school, he had a massive heart attack. And I remember talking to him, and he told me, you know what, I have disregarded the Lord's command to rest for years. Now I'm forced to rest. I did disregard because I, th I thought I could go, 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 go without even paying attention. to the And see, it wasn't that I had to rest. It's the promise of rest. It's like you don't have to work the seventh day. Take a break. That's the promise that Jesus came to come. And so when Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law. I've not come to get rid of the Sabbath so you guys can work seventh day, seven days. Well, who, how exciting, you know. No, I've come to fulfill the law and to bring back to you the promise of rest. That's why Jesus, in Matthew chapter 11, he tells, says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, for I will give you rest. I will give you rest. That's the promise of Jesus. So um, the principle is behind the Sabbath is the promise of rest. You're invited to rest. When the disciples came back from uh, being sent out to 72 and they cast out demons and they proclaimed the gospel, they were all excited about what God was doing through them. Jesus said, all right, let's take a break. Let's get away. Let's take a rest. He's offering us his rest. Not only this, but he's offering us an eternal rest. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 9, 9 says, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of dis disobedience. So what, what he's offering us is, we come to Jesus, we actually find rest. You no longer have to perform. You're not driven by works anymore. We're not a work-based religion. We're a relationship-based religion where we know Christ Jesus and what He did for us and that He found the rest, true rest. He's offering us true rest. You don't have to do anything anymore. That's the freedom of faith that is offered to us. Not only this, but um, he even points us to a, a Sabbath rest which is eternal. He points us to eternity. He points us to heaven as the, as the final resting place for us. See, this rhythm of six of one is important for us because the one day you have an opportunity to remember the promises of God. This one day you have an opportunity to connect with God. More than on the six days. Of course, we should always try to connect with the Lord. We should always find ways that we read Scripture, pray, and what, whatnot. But it's, it's that we're given an opportunity to seek Him. So, what He is trying to offer us is this. For the body, He's trying to offer us rest. Find rest. That's what He did, told the disciples. Get away. Let's just take a break. But when it comes to the soul, he's trying to restore ourselves. That's Psalm 23, verse 3, which says, He restores my soul. Psalm 23, verse 3, He restores my soul. Does your soul need, need restoring, restoration? It does. And so he's given us a rhythm, an opportunity for our souls to be restored. Both extroverts and introverts need that, by the way. Because extroverts can always be on the go, constantly be around people. Introverts know, I need to get away. I need, I need a break. I need to recharge my batteries. 
But we both need to find a way that our souls can be restored because we are in need of that. And then when it comes to the Spirit, we need to revive our spirit. We need to be revived in our faith. Sunday, this opportunity for us to gather on Sundays is not to fulfill um, a weekly duty. It's not so that we can come together here and show up and present ourselves uh, and fulfill the duty, oh, I've been to church again, okay, it's good for a week. No, it's not what Sunday was created for. It's not what worship is for, really. It's an opportunity for us to have fellowship. It's an opportunity for us to connect with each other. It's an opportunity for us to connect with the Lord because we need revival. We need to be revived in our spirit. Our souls need to be restored and our bodies need to find rest. And that is the rhythm that God establishes as you need that. So may Sundays be days where you can not legalistically because I have to go to church. I can go to church. I can have this opportunity to connect with God. What a promise. So let me just leave you with this one thought is, how do you view the law? How do you view the regulations that you see in the Old Testament? As you view them as the Pharisees do, as restrictive, as kind of, oh, I can only do this much kind of thing, and anything beyond is sin. You're not understanding the fulfillment of the law as Jesus came to bring us. I've come to fulfill the law, and now there's life. Can you hike on a Sunday? Can you bike on a Sunday? Can you go to a restaurant on a Sunday? Can you do this? Can you mow the grass, for example, on a Sunday? Well, it becomes an issue of do I want to honor the Lord? Or can, am I free? I'm free to do it, actually, because I am no longer under the law. But what I still need to observe is this principle of rest for me to be able to find rest. And that is what the promise is to us. That is God is inviting us to find in Him.